This week, we discuss the confusing Dutch legal system, why taking it slow is better, and what you can do to help legalization in your neck of the woods. Coming up now on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. My name is Rinus Beintema. I'm from the north of Holland, Friesland, and I'm a hardcore cannabis activist. Nasty, with a nasty track indeed, titled Something Out of Nothing. Why something out of nothing, you ask? We will get to that in just a little bit. But to give you a hint, it has to do with altruism, which is a very accurate word to describe this week's guest, the fearless Renus Beintema, straight out of the Netherlands. Renus is a hardcore activist for cannabis patients, based in Friesland in the Netherlands, where he is known as the Robin Hood of medical cannabis. He's an authority on the use of cannabis for medical purposes. He also starred in the documentary Netflix series Rotten High on Edibles. That's season two, episode six, for those keeping track. He is also the founder of the nonprofit foundation Suvernuver, whose goal is primarily to help patients and, consequently, achieve legalization of medical cannabis in the Netherlands. As of today, 21,000 patients are registered with his foundation to purchase and use cannabis oil. Plants grown by his volunteers are distributed as medical cannabis to patients registered with social clubs, of which there are now several throughout the country. Recently, Renus started a new project in the Netherlands concerning coffee shops, which aims to regulate the standards of cannabis sold on the local market. So he has an impressive resume and even more ambitious plans for the future with respect to cannabis. I spoke with Renus at this year's Cannabis Conference in Warsaw, Poland, where he represented the International Educational Institution of Medican Campus. I asked him about his initial contact with cannabis and how he got to where he is today. Yeah, well, I'll give you a short version of it because this is a 30-year-old story. Um, I, I loved growing up in Amsterdam and uh, we were kids and playing in the coffee shops with the table football. And that was the, automatically the, the Moroccan hashish and, and, and Colombian marijuana available that you get introduced to. So that went like uh, water, you know, it was, was like glued on me. And um, after that I decided to do some uh, butt tending in uh, coffee shops in Amsterdam. And uh, this developed uh, uh, eventually to be uh, a cannabis grower when the, the inside marijuana came up uh, flourishing. 
and uh, that was in the 90s. I've had my own coffee shop in the Netherlands. I lost that coffee shop too due to a lot of misery. And now I'm, uh, by coincidence, I uh, met the father of a friend of mine with severe uh, arthritis. And uh, he asked me to produce oil for him, THC oil. And I already did that, but for recreational purposes. So we made cakes from it or we smoked it. But this guy wanted to eat it for pain relief. And I looked at him if he were, that he was a crazy man. Because I didn't believe that. I thought the Americans say, yeah, my finger hurt. Give me some marijuana, it helps me. You know, it's like a Bodog story to have a coffee shop, hidden coffee shop. Well, I was wrong there because this father came back to me when I gave him the oil. In five days, half of his regular pain medication, he didn't need it no more. Wow, then I thought, this can't be, this can't be happening. I said, okay, my friend, I'm happy that it helps you. Now give me 15 of your friends who's also got this problem. They all got this app group where they have uh, people in with the same problem. So give me 15 of those people. I provide them with free oil and give me back the results. These 15 resulted in at least 50% very good results and 20% minor results and about 30% no results. But this was promising enough to investigate more. I started my own Facebook group and within a month it exploded on my Facebook account. And before I knew it, I was making oil the whole day on my attic in my house and sending it through all of Holland to sick people in need. Of course, I couldn't pay for this no more. So I said, well, I want to make it for you but you must at least give me the money back that I have put in. And this way the whole system developed itself basically. And then I've, I had my foundation, I said you can become a member, if you get a member you can, you can put orders and we deliver you the oil for the price that it cost us to produce it. And basically this was a golden move because as soon as I did that, the 100 people turned into 500 and it was not doable for myself no more. And then we, we decided to do it professionally in a social club and four friends of mine and me put some money down and then we made it a, a project where we invited media immediately because we couldn't believe this was happening. And now four and a half years later I'm helping 20,000 people and I'm being sued by government for doing so. But they also want to talk to me how to see in the future. So it's a really strange situation that developed pretty awesome. A golden move it was indeed. Serena started out like many people in the cannabis industry. They discovered the wonders of the plant in their youth and decided to do something a little more entrepreneurial with it. Instead of just smoking some hash or weed and then getting behind the foosball table with his friends for a bit of fun, he became a can of businessman. But he didn't become a can of healer until he discovered its pain-killing effects by way of his father's friend. Thanks to social media as well as the national media, he turned this happy accident into an organization and now, 21,000 patients later, he's being lauded as a hero by the people. And also a criminal, at least by his own government. 
This might sound highly atypical for a place like the Netherlands. After all, it's the home of coffee shops and legal weed, right? Wrong. As I mentioned on a previous episode last season, cannabis still isn't legal in the Netherlands, though it is tolerated, and concentrates are definitely not legal, especially if they do not contain any plant material. And don't even dare to give it to sick people, lest you incur the wrath of the authorities. Doesn't sound like a very tolerant policy at all, does it now? However, one type of concentrate, rosin, which does contain plant material and can be used for dabbing, is available. I think it's safe to say that the Dutch policy towards cannabis is a little confusing. Exactly. Does the Justice Department want to prosecute me because I'm selling and producing an illegal substance? On the other hand, Health Department acknowledge that a lot of people benefit from this and they want me to conduct in a big scientific research program where my database will be used for clinical trials and actual proof of medicine. So it's a very Jekyll and Hyde situation where on one side you get punched and the other side helps you again. You know, it's really strange. It's typical Holland. Jekyll and Hyde isn't exactly the first thing that springs to my mind when I think typical Holland, but this is coming from someone born and raised in the Netherlands, so I'll take his word for it, as unusual as the situation may sound. Strangely enough, you would think Renus would himself enjoy this legal limbo where cannabis products are kinda sorta legal, so that he could at least continue supplying patients with medicine to a limited degree, as opposed to a situation where cannabis products containing THC are outright illegal and where he can easily end up in court or in jail. But his position on the subject might actually surprise you. Well, to be honest, I really like the hard restrictions better than what we have in Holland. Because with hard restrictions, you know you can't do nothing. Zero tolerance. But you can't talk to people. That's everywhere allowed. So I can share the knowledge I gained in Holland with interested people. And I find a lot of people in Poland interested in listening what we've been doing over there. And I think this is the key point. I don't have to break the law in Poland because I do that in my own country. In Poland, Polish people need to make sure it happens and I will give them all my support possible in achieving some sort of legalization of medicinal and preferably also recreative marijuana and cannabis. Not the strategy you might expect coming from someone who is battling it out with the authorities in court, but I do understand where Renus is coming from, at least if we're talking about countries where cannabis is still illegal. As opposed to the Dutch system, where things are confusing at a minimum, here, Renus is referring to the situation in Poland, which is in the same boat as most of Europe, in that cannabis products containing higher amounts of THC are unmistakably illegal. It's not a fun situation to be in, particularly as a supplier of medicine, and even more so as a patient. But at least you know where you stand and who you have to fight for the situation to change. If things are murky, and you don't know who is your friend and who is your enemy, that makes the battle that much harder. As mentioned before, coffee shops in Holland can legally sell cannabis under certain conditions, but cannot grow or purchase the product for their customers. This has been the case for over four decades now. You would think by now they would have their act together, what with legalization happening in North America and other parts of the world. 
But Renus also sees other issues with the coffee shop model in his home country. It's, it's really crazy. You, you said it correct. It's 40 years of uh, illegal growing uh, and legal selling. So that's, that's it's crazy. Uh, the marijuana, the cannabis that's being sold in the coffee shop are not tested. And that's also a big crime as I see it. So in my point of view, the government has failed to do the job for the people. If they allow a, a coffee shop owner to sell it, they should be taken responsibility for the products that has been sold. And they don't. This is a big issue. So nowadays, they are trying to repair the backdoor policy, but it's 40 years too late. Even if you repair it, then we will find out what kind of damage would have been done in the last 40 years because then we can compare things. Huge legal claims are coming for them. So this is not the situation they really want to. And I'm a, a, a bit of a, a cynical guy. I don't believe anything people tell me, especially not from government. They need to prove it to me. And in this situation, we can be transparent and they have, are the ones hiding shit. And this makes it very interesting for me as a person. The Dutch don't have the same reputation of suing their way out of problems like Americans do, but you can imagine the legal chaos that would ensue if people started going after coffee shops for selling faulty products, which resulted in people getting sick. So the situation is quite messy, but not unresolvable. The Dutch government has begun experiments in regulated cannabis production with 10 licensed growers in 10 different municipalities, with the aim of removing the gray area between sales in coffee shops and illegal cultivation and supply. It is prohibition that makes it difficult to ensure that consumers are getting a safe product, but consumer protection is not the most serious of the concerns here. The authorities are also afraid of the country becoming a narco-state, and despite their efforts, rooting out criminality and the black market might be harder than it seems, as Canada is in the process of finding out. To me personally, all this sounds very un-Dutch, as I've generally associated the Dutch with being very well organized and good at problem solving. So what gives? Why do we have the situation we do, and how could we get out of it? Basically, it's, again, lack of knowledge. Because if governments understand that it could be a medicine, or it could be in the pharmacies, and they could make a tax-paying product, then it's a whole different ballgame. It's the activism that puts it hardcore on the table. And I say, we need to talk to each other, we need to use the universities, we need to use the academics to prove to us all, to the activists and to the governments, that there are or there are not uh, medicinal values in this plant. I think this will make a lot of uh, situations transparent for all. Why America and Canada and a lot of other countries legalize it, they see this money model because they are the ones starting it. That is not, will not say that it's perfectly arranged over there because it's not. If you look at, at the shareholders from the biggest Canadian companies, they lost like 70 to 80% of the value because of the big green bubble and that bursted. It's too many companies on an overcrowded market, overpowering industry, and now the farmers are the ones that are fucked with it because they have the product and they can't sell it.
They can't produce product and they don't make money from it. So this is an illusion being placed by big investors and that's now being proven to not work. So I work on this convention with mixed feelings. I see a lot of commercial things around me, but I like that too. My advice would be, don't forget the common people. Talk to the people who need it. Talk to the people who produce it. Don't talk only to the people with the big box, buying their way in and bringing beautiful stories, all paperwork and all big bubbles. It's about long-term things, not short-term investments. Well, this is basically my, uh, my view over it. In short, communication and transparency are the way out of the current mess, but by no means is that all. Renus continuously stresses communication with the people who need cannabis and benefit most from its use. In other words, patience before profits and in the long term. Renus is right to point out the many companies that have almost nothing to do with caregivers and patients and everything to do with economic booms and bottom lines. Such bubbles will inevitably burst, and it's not the profit-driven investors that will be hit the hardest when markets collapse. This situation also reminded me of the hypocrisy of numerous American politicians slash businessmen who were strict prohibitionists just a few years ago, but now are in a rush to join the executive boards of cannabis companies or investment firms. I was curious to find out if the Netherlands also has its share of John Boehner's and Brian Mulroney's. Yeah, I think you, you touch a very good subject here. Uh, I can relate to that very well, of course, because of what I told you earlier about my own experience. So uh, I was the most skeptic guy you can find about medicinal cannabis. So I can relate to that politician a bit. But I think the politician changed his mind because of different situations. I really hope he saw the benefits of medicinal cannabis. But it would be no surprising to me if economics would be involved as well. And this is the issue. That's not bad per se. Because it's not bad for a country to make money from a new industry. But then please make sure the country benefits and not these big nonsense investors with beautiful stories that place down a whole lot of infrastructure and a year later nobody does nothing no more. The only thing they do is find more investors, find more investors, explode the business, sell it for a high price and go to do something else. This is called high-risk development. And this is common. And this is why the, the cannabis industry will be rocking because all of Eastern Europe is full of fiber hemp and CBD hemp. There's an overproduction like crazy. Prices will drop 10 to 20 times by the end of next year. Mark my words. So this gives a good overview why I think it's important for a government to take the things in their own hand with their own universities, with their own people, in cooperation with other universities from other countries. This is the only way how we can rule out the big investors with them beautiful words and plans. But we want to see something happening for the people. We want to see something changing it for the people. We want to see the medicinal oil helps people. 
Here we can see why Renus has earned the moniker of the Robin Hood of Cannabis. He clearly wants to see the sick getting the help they need, and, as he mentioned, as cheaply as possible, with their health being the priority. At his Supernuver Social Club, patients pay a symbolic 1 euro per year to get their medicine delivered, with the more affluent members paying 10 euros a month. Regardless of what they can afford, they do end up getting a lot of something out of next to nothing. Fingers crossed this trend will continue for him and his clubs in the Netherlands, but with legalization marching forward in the US and Canada, I was curious whether he thinks we'll see an American-style model of dispensaries this side of the Atlantic. I doubt that. I doubt that because you see the legality in America, there's a lot of problems occur to that because it's not everywhere allowed. So the countries, the, the states, uh, from one state to the other states is illegal. So you still have a lot of trafficking and black market stuff going on. Similar here in Europe. I don't see uh, uh, countries uh, all of a sudden allowing THC to be grown everywhere. Like in Bosnia-Herzegovina, or Albania, or, or, or these kind of countries. That's a little bit easier. In my point of view, all should be under good regulations, under supervision, and let's start with medicinal and take it slowly, step by step. Make sure it stays in Poland. Make sure it helps the people in Poland. And in whole of Europe, there are a couple of countries that will be easy to change the rules for THC, but that's basically because they want to make easy money. This is why we need big restrictions and regulations on the production of this uh, cannabis. And if you allow others in other countries to bring their stuff to your country, then you always depend on their product, their quality. And it's very simple plant to create by the farmers in Poland itself. You've got a lot of pharmaceutical laboratories that can be used, university laboratories that can be used. It's just sharing of knowledge without asking 200 million euros for a, a bit of knowledge, you know? I'm give it for free. I, I think this is how we should cooperate with, with each other, to make it available for everybody, because I really see a lot of people benefiting from the product itself. It seems counterintuitive that a hardcore activist would advocate for more restrictions on cannabis companies and investment, but in his defense, the restrictions would serve as protections for patients and consumers rather than limitations to economic freedom. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with countries trying to make a buck off of a sustainable natural resource. But when governments such as Poland strike deals with foreign companies, for example, in Canada, to produce cannabis products to be imported, despite the government's ability to produce on a domestic level, you can see that the motivation is based on as many different people as possible earning some coin, and not as many patients as possible finding relief. And therein lies the problem, which is why I can actually understand Renus being okay with taking things slowly and not trying to push through legalization as soon as possible so that investors can make as much profit as possible. But moving on, despite his success in the Netherlands and all the media attention he and his organizations have been getting, I wanted to know whether Renus still experiences stigmatization as a well-known advocate of cannabis. Big time, big time of it. In Holland, it's, it's the strategy of the politics. If they find a, a, a grow room in your house, you get a, a sign attached to the side of your house. 
We found a weed growery. If you see one, call the police. This is a criminal organization. This is dangerous. This is this, this is that. This is Holland 2019. And it is just a small example from what's happening. You don't want to believe what all the bad propaganda about the illegality of the growing of marijuana has brought to 80% of the Dutch people. They all dislike it. But if so many people dislike it, then stop it. No, they don't. So now I need an explanation. Government of Holland, why don't you stop it? Or why don't you arrange it the proper way? Based on what Renus is saying here, it seems like, on a superficial level at least, the Dutch frown upon cannabis, particularly cannabis cultivation, and the government seems to be leading the charge in shaming those who are involved, yet nothing is really being done to eliminate it. As stated earlier, the government is allowing for limited experimental grows, which would indicate they want to move forward and deal with the situation in an adult fashion. But stigma can't be just washed away overnight. This will take some time, of course. Renus explains here what can be done to push back against the stigma and advance the cause of medical cannabis. Nowadays, it's awesome. You've got social media, you've got a whole set of other channels where you can easily talk to each other. And I think this is one of the keys again. The communication tools that we have today make life very easy to make people understand. So, what I, my advice would be, if you're interested in this subject, go talk to serious people, and that not only means activism, but also to a doctor, and a government, and a police officer, and ask them about their opinion. When you talk to these people, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not breaking the law when you ask an opinion or you ask, how is this arranged in Poland? And how can we change this in Poland? You need to draw them to the table and make it happen. And this is again masses of people. The more people that share behind a common goal, the, the sooner the government will have to listen. And this is why I say, if you have no money involved for a goal, then it's much easier for everybody to join the goal. Because we don't talk about who's getting what. We have one goal. Make it discussable, make the communication open to the government, and make them understand this is something the common people want. And that's it, man. I think this, this is the, what we do. And in my perfect world, we all go one big family, but you and I know that's not going to happen, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm turning my, my stone in here and I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to drive up here and tell people my mind and, and, and help them out however I can. They can come to me, they can come to our social media, they can follow me, they can, they can share the story, but they can also do something with medical campus in Poland. They can put the support just by a hit on, me, on the social media. It's very easy. It's not all, always about money. You know, sick people need the stuff. They have a different target. Recreative people or people just who lost the plant itself, they can really help out by pushing the organization forward. And in my point of view, as we all share one organization, we've got a lot of people to push. 
So above all else, we need to talk to each other, and we cannot be afraid to do so. I wholeheartedly agree with Renus here that communication is absolutely key, and we cannot treat all those opposed like the enemy and expect to win by ignoring them. Once we convince the other side that they stand to benefit as well, we can then move forward as a collective. So if we want to contact Renus, how do we go about finding him? Well, like you can go on Facebook and Instagram, I've got uh, just my own name, Rinus Beintra, and you can just uh, follow me, add me, and uh, add your comments, share the, share the stories. There's a lot being written, we're working hard to get some uh, uh, Polish translations on a lot, but there's a lot of work to be done. You know, on the website you can push a button and you get a Google Translate, but it's shitty. So you have to read between the words a bit there. But there's a, a couple of pieces in English and uh, a lot of Polish friends in Holland as well. So I think that uh, it will be fine at some point. We need to do that. Sadly, we have to end here. But if you want to join in on the conversation, feel free to reach out via Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, as well as SoundCloud. Special thanks again to Rinus Beintema for taking the time out of his busy schedule to speak to me. We wish him all the best with his organizations, particularly Suvernuver, but we also wish him luck with his court battles. Give him hell, Renus. If you want to support the Critical Grass podcast, feel free to do so by going to our Patreon page. There is a link for that on our website. This will be the last podcast for 2019, but we have more exciting guests lined up for next year. So don't forget to tune in later in January. My name, as always, is Bogdan, wishing you a happy holiday season, whatever you celebrate, and all the best in 2020 to everyone listening out there. Peace, love, and cannabis to all. Totsins!